Hi, I'm Steve Leard, and welcome to Cover Meeting, the book cover design podcast where we speak with designers about their work, the industry, and everything else in between. Today we're joined by Zoe Norvell, a terrific designer who's been in the book publishing world since she graduated from the Pratt Institute in 2011. Zoe's first job was as an intern with Rodrigo Corral Studio. From there, she worked at Simon & Schuster before moving to Penguin Random House. In 2015, she left to become a full-time freelancer. Last year, she launched INeedABookInterior.com, a new subdivision of her work that focuses purely on book interiors. And then earlier this year, she launched a new remarkable website, INeedABookCover.com, that acts as both a directory of freelance book cover designers, but also doubles as an archive of over 2,000 book covers to date, with the site growing month on month. I spoke with Zoe about all of this from her hometown of Washington, DC. Thanks so much, Zoe, for for joining me in this first transatlantic episode of the podcast. it's you know it's really great to connect like this and um i feel really lucky to know lots of cover designers here in the uk um but it's harder to connect with us designers um you know in the, in the same in the same way you know we we see each other's work be it on social media and instagram or those mm-hmm. kind of you know best covers of the month type lists that that, that do the rounds mm-hmm. but i'm really looking forward to getting beyond that and uh, chatting to yourself and hopefully others down the line too. Here in the UK, it's often said that our industry is really hard to break into. Is that the same in America? Is, is that, was that your experience and, and what you read from other people's experience in the, in the industry? I think generally speaking, it is really hard to break into, um, especially if you live outside of New York City. Um, for me personally, it everything felt like the a domino effect. And I don't know if I'm discrediting myself by saying I was lucky, but I did break in somewhat easily. I can I can talk about how that happened. Um I yeah, I made up my mind that I wanted to specialize in book covers before my senior year at Pratt Institute, which is in Brooklyn, New York. Um I had a couple of senior thesis professors warned me that I should not specialize, that <laughs> I could do a couple book covers in my portfolio, that, but I needed a general portfolio and absolutely don't specialize because a book cover career is not really a thing. And I was like, I'm pretty sure that it is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it does exist somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And, but, um, you know, this is so long ago that there, this is 2010. So there was barely any Instagram. I think it might've come out like my senior year, year after, but that's just to say that the only reason I thought that there, it was probably a career is because I saw enough names over and over again when I went to book cover, uh, when I went to bookstores. So I saw Helen Yentis's name over and over and Oliver Monday and Rodrigo Corral. So I was like, I'm, I'm pretty sure some people are doing this repeat. Um, so anyway, so I enter my senior year and I decide to specialize and I was lucky enough that I was living right across the river from 
all of those giant publishing houses. So if I'd gone to a different school, yeah, it probably would have been harder to break into. Um, I was also lucky that I could take a day off of classes and devote that whole day to an internship. So I emailed Rodrigo Corral completely out of the blue and offered to work at his studio for free. (laughs) So um, that was my foot in the door. I was there for a whole year and met incredible people there. And then um, he got an email from Jackie Seow that Simon and Schuster was was either Jackie or Jeannie. It might have been Jeannie um, that Simon and Schuster was hiring, and that job opening was not on my radar for whatever reason. And he was gracious enough to let me know that they were hiring, and I interviewed with them. And so, two months after I graduated from Pratt, I had a job in publishing wow. as a junior yeah. cover designer. Really, really lucky, but. It just felt like one thing led to another. It was really cool. I think um, whenever you talk to cover designers, the theme of, of luck seems to come up quite often. And yeah, it right. probably is kind of discrediting ourselves as well. Because it, it is. With, within that, there's a, obviously goes into a lot of hard work. But I do, for a lot of people, because there are, you know, a finite amount of jobs in our industry, there is a mm-hmm. sense of you've got to, it's the right place at the right time kind of, yeah. you know, kind of element. You mentioned there about your internship with Rodrigo Corral and having that as your first taste of publishing must have been an amazing experience. But what did you learn from your time with his team? Yeah, I'm glad you said his team because it wasn't just him that I was. um, So I spent basically, I think it was my whole senior year. It might have been a semester. I can't remember. So it was, you know, we're talking at least six months, let's say. Um, my One of my biggest takeaways and my advice for future designers is to just be friendly with everyone you meet along the way, because get this, the two designers that he had at the time when I was this lowly intern was Steve Attardo and Elena Givaldi. Okay. Like, holy <laughs> crap. Like... <laughs> Big, big swingers, even to this day, right? Yeah. Um, and at that point, they were just people I met along the way. Yeah. My fellow intern was Devin Washburn, yeah. who has now started his own no ideas. studio. Yes, and yeah. is doing like huge things. So, you know, at the time, I'm only 20. I'm still in school. And these people are, are just like cool people that are working in my internship with. But yeah, like it's a small world. You never know. Yeah. You never know who, who you're working with and what they go on yeah. to do and how, you know, how, how that might help you again down the line potentially. So it's a good advice to For anyone sure. looking to break yeah. into the industry and getting those first breaks into, into a potential job is yeah. Just, just soak up everything you can from everyone that crosses your path. Exactly. Um, and, and in a way my reputation in the industry started at that point before I really matured or broken into it. Um, you know, I still get, uh, cover work from Steve and he's at Norton and, um, but I'll always consider him a, a friend because of when, like when he entered my life, like he's always going to be a friend before, you know, being a colleague. So. No, that's an amazing, it's an amazing experience and break into the industry. Yeah. So after that 
initial internship, you worked in-house at a couple of publishers. So you spent quite a long time between your education and then working in New York. But now I think you're back working in your hometown in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, here in the U.K., um, London is is like a real dominant force in, in, in oh so many ways, but particularly in our industry um, and the creative industries generally. Do you have that same kind of sense in the U.S. of once you leave New York, you feel a little bit potentially kind of out of it um, or do other cities kind of maintain a like a real thriving kind of creative scene as well in, in their own right? Other cities have a creative scene for sure, but when it comes to publishing and the cover designers, New York is unparalleled. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, like when I launched the website, I need a book cover. If I had been still living in New York at the time, I probably would have spent some money and thrown like a launch party and paid for everyone to come drink on my tab for fun. <laughs> and, um, and I bet I probably could have gotten a lot of people to come, but nah, just being in DC, um, I don't, I don't have any cover designer friends here in DC. Um, were you nervous about that when you left New York at all? No, I wasn't nervous about that. At that point I'd been freelancing long enough and the work was consistent. Um, and I was looking for other things like personally outside of work. So yeah, those, those things outweighed that fear. Um, but I must say, uh, I think that COVID has changed everything for my cover designer friends that I'm still in touch with. They're all remote. They, d- they don't see their art directors all the time once a month or something like that. So I'm not even sure if the art departments are having goodbye drink uh, sessions when people leave or, or the birthday parties or, you know, the, someone brings in donuts and we all chit chat. Like, I don't know. I don't think that's happening. Um, yeah, so the so culture the cultures shifted yeah. in, in publishing. Yeah, I quite think a, lot. a lot of people moved outside of the city during COVID as most people did. People moved to, New Jersey. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to call people out by names, but it's different. Everyone has left. And I guess if meetings are happening more remotely, it becomes harder to justify paying paying higher rents and things like that, living Mm -hmm. in in the city itself. And it gives people the option and flexibility to to maybe, you know, just move outside the city or even further if 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 need be. Yeah. Do you think um do you think a lot of publishers in America are doing cover meetings and things like that remotely now rather than face to face? I think so. Um, I'm I'm really not at liberty to say, but I think so. Yeah, just the people. Anecdotally, the people I've spoken to are not going in, and when we do have a Zoom call, they're at home too. So yeah, that's got to change something for the industry eventually, isn't it? I think that's, that's going to have an impact after a while as well. Um, but looking at your social media, I get the sense that like travel is really important to you. Um, that seems quite a common factor for quite a lot of yeah. freelance designers. Was that one of the main factors for you deciding to go freelance to give you like oh, yes. flexibility? Oh, yes, it was. Um, I actually made up my mind that I was going to leave Penguin while I was on a beach in El Salvador. Um, <laughs> some friends of mine threw a festival there. I got away from work. I was not in a 
good place mentally, personally, um, feeling really overworked, not being happy with my work, which was absolutely tied to like lack of sleep and low self-esteem. So I get away from work. I get away from the city. I'm, I'm in El Salvador on a beach and I'm meeting all these people that are not graphic designers, not even from New York city, but they're doing the, the nomad thing. And, um, of course, like their travel lifestyle was super appealing, but that wasn't really the thing that made me absolutely question or decide to go freelance. It was, it was more like meeting all these people who had made a decision to pick happiness over financial stability, um, making your parents proud, doing the, the, the normal thing just their courage of like, oh yeah, like this is what I'm doing and this is what's making me happy. And, and this is what I'm going to do right now. Um, I think I, at that point in my life, I had tied my personal happiness to how I was performing at work, which was a big mistake. And, um, I just, I needed to, I needed to like, Make Please. a change. Yeah, make a change and get happy, happier on my own, more confident, all of those things. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, when you're living in a really bustling city like New York and London's obviously the same, mm-hmm. and you're kind of in that rat race and you're, you're just, you know, basically just you know living to work, essentially. You're, on the, you're either on the commute would, or you're Yeah, I was work commuting. I was working late. I wasn't sleeping enough. Yeah. I was working weekends. Yeah. And I think you probably like lose a bit of perspective after a while because you are just in this bubble of work and craziness. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, say before you know it, you can lose yourself amongst that. So it's amazing having I did, yeah. experiences mm-hmm. like that where you, where, you know, where you can get that perspective back. Yes. I will say, I will say, because this is important, <laughs> I... I I had this mental shift while I was on that beach in in El Salvador. I came back and I said, I'm going to give it two weeks and I'll see if I, you know, I didn't come back on Monday from the trip. Like, guys, I'm leaving. Like I did, I really did. There was more of a plan. Yes. There was a mental shift and then there was follow through, but um, it wasn't immediately. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Um, So you've been freelancing since about 2015 i think is that right yeah i think it's about similar that's kind of similar to to me as well ish yeah maybe me a little bit less um but what what are the consistent challenges with being freelance for you um and i guess any advice for anyone looking to take the plunge so the first thing that comes to mind is something i probably wouldn't have said years ago but it's something that i'm only now realizing that i'm missing and it's the connection to other designers and the chit chat. So um, like when I launched the website, I need a book cover and all these people who I didn't know or who I did know or who I used to know reached out to me. Having that connection, I realized I missed. So I, I, I do miss having coworkers or just um people to bounce off and things like that people yeah people who speak the same design language as me um and then also when I left 
uh, Brooklyn and I, because I had gone to art school, most of my friends were from art school. So they were fellow designers, but in different industries, but I left New York and I left behind just designer friends in general. Um, so I, I do miss that. I've been thinking about joining like AIGADC <laughs> lately. I haven't yet, but just some, some, some sort of like monthly meetup, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I think it's important. It's important. It? Do you work, yeah. do you work um, like day to day? Do you work solo in a, in a, in either at home or in a workspace somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. Like this is my guest room um, slash office. Yeah. yeah. I work solo. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, because I think that comes with quite a lot of challenges, doesn't it? Like I did that for a, a period of time as well. I had a, mm-hmm. I couldn't really work at home because I didn't really have a space to, um, and we had kind of young kids, um, yeah, popping around, so it became a bit of a challenge. So I had a workspace um, with just myself, and after a while, it really I found really found it quite difficult. And it was only until after COVID, when it was time to go back. Yeah. I was like, I really don't want to go back there, actually. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I share, I share with a couple of other designers now. Um, and uh, that really helps, I think. It's helped oh, me, cool. for sure. So I, when I first moved back home to D.C., I did join a WeWork. And I was there for, I think, like nine or ten months. And the, the whole idea was I just moved to this new city, even though I'm from here, this new city. Um, so I was excited to get out of the house, but also potentially meet people. Um, and that was really nice. To, it was a great way to structure my day, get out of the house, put on clothes, all of that. Um, but before the pandemic hit, I actually, I left the WeWork and it was a purely financial decision. Like I was spending five or $600 a month when I could have just been saving that and doing that from home. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yes. it's, it's, it's those tough decisions, isn't it? When you're when you're freelance, you know, you've got to really every dollar counts. Yeah, you've got to be, you've really <laughs> got to think, haven't you? Um, one one thing, I it's probably different for yourself and many others freelance in America as opposed to here was, and it's something I didn't really consider was um, like the whole health insurance thing in America. Mm-hmm. How, how does that mm-hmm. work? Um, being freelance, yeah, I have. So there's what do they call it? Um, there's a marketplace you you log on and you you can get health insurance for yourself. I have the bare minimum, the lowest one. I think yeah. it's like two two eighty or something like that. Um, yeah, it's that's an expense um, that that uh, you don't think about. Do you think health that's insurance? Some, do you think that's something that puts people off going freelance or, or at all? Having having Maybe. that kind of that lack of stability of, of a regular paycheck and things like that. I think I'm trying to think my conversations with people who have said, Oh, I'm thinking about leaving, but X, Y, and Z. Um, I mean, it's, it's scary, but, um, so when I was thinking about walking away from Penguin, um, I got really good advice from Lynn Buckley, who was, had been freelance in her own studio, but she had come back to Penguin. I think she's still there even today. She was like, um, there's a good chance you can always come back. Like you can go freelance, make a splash, do a good job. And if you find, if you're sick of it or it's not working out, like as long as you're doing good work, like 
you could probably come back like as she had done because her yeah. work is spectacular. Yeah. So that was really comforting. I was yeah, like, took, okay, maybe this isn't forever. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. I th- yeah, it's sometimes I think some people think that it's a, it's a one way ticket. Like once, right. you've, once you've gone, there's no return. Um, yeah. Whereas, you know, there's no reason why you can't go back in house if, if you, if your work is still strong. Yeah. And, yeah, and also not, I think it not? doesn't, it doesn't suit everyone as well. I think being freelance, um, Absolutely. you know, it works for me, but I can definitely see how it wouldn't work for many others. Um, you know, there's so many, there's so many pros to being freelance, but obviously there's a, there's a few cons as well. Yeah. Um, I've had a lot of people say that having so much freedom, they're worried they'd, you know, abuse it or whatever. Um, I remember when I first went freelance, I was like, wow, I can set my own hours. I'm more productive at night. I'm going to sleep in. And then when that, you know, those nighttime zoomies kick in, I'm just, I'm just going to work as late as I want. So there was like a two month period where I was starting my days at noon, 1 PM, I would work until after midnight, which of course meant I had to sleep in the next day. And it gets old. Like you're totally, your friends get off work at 6 PM. Do you want to get dinner? You're like, no, 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 I can't. This is like the middle of my day, you know? Um, yeah. And it, it gets, it gets old. So I have a pretty standard, um, you know, wake up, yeah, work out, coffee, get to the desk goal kind of a thing yeah 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 and have you managed to build in your passion of travel into being freelance have you have you have you managed to work away and things like that uh, yeah at all? so my my biggest uh my longest time traveling was in when is it 2018 or it was 2019 I traveled in South and Central America with my laptop for five months um, I told all of my, I wasn't hiding that by any means. I told my clients, I was posting that on an Instagram. And what was so cool was all of my clients from, you know, I remember Lisa Litwack at Simon and Schuster. So the, the big houses and then people, um, who run their small presses in like the middle of the country, everyone was happy for me. No one was like, Oh, I'm not going to hire Zoe again because she's just screwing off. Like (laughs) every, everyone was like, Hey Zoe, I have a new project for you. What country are you in? How's it going? (laughs) Well, I think people respect it, don't they? And and it's exciting, isn't it? Cause I think, you know, I think a lot of people think they maybe go into freelance with the intention that they might do something like that. But then for a lot of people, it doesn't actually happen. So, you know, fair play for making it actually work. How did you find working when you weren't in a, you know, quote, normal kind of workspace? Okay. So the one thing I didn't like was working on a laptop. Like I'm talking to you from my iMac right now. Right. And I actually have a second iMac right next to me. Um, And, you know, I'm sure you have the same, like I have my my Bluetooth keyboard, my Wacom tablet, and then like the mouse pad, the trackpad, right? So it just feels like when you're working on the laptop, everything's squished. So that was, that was the only thing I didn't um, love, but I got, I got used to it. If you get off of the iMac for long enough, you get used to it. But in terms of being motivated and whatnot, I was super, super motivated because the work I was doing was paying for this dream come true. Um, I wasn't going to just 
go to the beach all day and stop working and let my bank account trickle away. Um, I, like, I remember I got to Mexico city halfway through my trip and I had, um, maybe three weeks there by myself. I was in an Airbnb and, but I had a bunch of deadlines at that time when I happened to be in Mexico city. So I just treated it like a regular job. I was like, okay, well, if I'm really productive from 9am to five, I'll go on like a two hour walk at 5 PM. And then, well, if I finish this thing by Friday, I can do whatever I want in Mexico city over the weekend. So it was a, it was a giant motivator. It really was because the reward was you get to go explore Mexico city, but you've got to get your work done first. Um, the other thing that really helped was when possible, I was staying at nomad, like digital nomad houses or, um, so they're, they're, I don't know if they still are, but there, there were these digital nomad hostels that were, they promised really good Wi-Fi and workspaces. So they were specifically catering to other people like me. So it's not like I, yeah, I just like stumbled into a hostel and there's like 10 drunk Australians there, right? <laughs> it was like, that wasn't the vibe at all. It was yeah. like, I was in uh, Medellin, Colombia, staying at a Selena and Selena is like this brand and they have locations all over um, South America and Central America. And they had this huge, gorgeous workspace with honestly like 80 or 90 desks. And I was meeting people from Israel, Germany, Australia, Japan, like all over the world. And, and they weren't all the designers, but they had all, they were all making their living off that of their laptop. That must have been really interesting as well, because you're presumably meeting lots of like-minded people as well, because they're mm-hmm. essentially do, they've essentially made the same decisions as you had as well and being there and, and yep. working from those points. So that must have been great. Yeah. Um, do you think like the work you were doing when you're, when you were away, do you uh-huh. feel like your, your environment led to like interesting responses to your briefs that you otherwise wouldn't have had when you were at home? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Like I was still working on your average business book, right? Which like has, you know, how, how to speak your mind at work, like had nothing to do with Nicaragua, you know? Um, but, and then, and then also like some cities offered more creative juices than others. I was in uh, Panama city for a week. Blah. It gave me nothing. <laughs> Mexico City was vibrant for sure. Um, Chile, Bolivia was beautiful. Um, yeah, yes and no. <laughs> One thing I do say is, you know, if in the future I'm offered a fiction book that takes place in one of those countries, I have a lot more to pull from. Yeah. Um, I've never been to India. And if, if I get a, a novel that's set in India, I, I just... Google stuff and you're probably getting kind of the the internet's version of India when yeah, you're getting like pull, a shallow version of it, yeah. aren't you? Whereas when you've experienced it for yourself, it, you can't quite beat that, can you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it must have been amazing. It was. When when talk about being a freelance, I've I've seen you say that you had to learn to become your own set of fresh eyes. It, mm-hmm, it, is, mm-hmm. that, is that one of the things that, that's hardest to manage with being freelance is learning to be like your own critic? Yeah, it is. It's hard. Um, I was always showing my work to my art directors um, in when I was working at Simon & Schuster and then also at Penguin. And these were 
super talented people that I looked up to who I learned so much from. Um, and when I went freelance, I, I lost that buffer completely. Um, it's funny when I, sometimes I'll send a PDF of work that I feel okay about or, but I, but I might be pretty self-deprecating about it, but, but I, but I send it. It's like, okay, it's the deadline. I send it. I will look at work six months later, or eight months later, and I'll look at a PDF. I'll be like, that wasn't so bad. Like that was, <laughs> but like in the moment, I'm just really got a bit of hard on myself. On. Yeah. yeah. A lot yeah. of doubts, a lot of doubts. And, and sometimes I don't like a cover that gets picked. And then, yeah, a year later, I'm like, oh, I'm going to post this. <laughs> It was great. It was yeah. not, so, not, not so bad. I like this. I think as um, like a bit of time and space for a project sometimes is a healer, isn't it? Because yeah. I think you can become, I think being, having doubts about yourself and your work is, is can be healthy as well because it can, it can make you kind of push yourself further than you might naturally do so. But I think um, the amount of times I've worked on a, on a cover where, by the end of it, I feel quite down on it. And maybe it's because something's not quite gone to plan or something. But then, mm-hmm. you know, six months to a year later, it might get published. And you think, oh, that's, that's not too bad. Yeah, it was okay. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I think yeah. that's one of the hard things about being freelance is having, having that inner critic. And, and, yeah. and, and those moments, especially if you're doing something which is a little bit um, unexpected or a bit left field. And there's that part of you is like, is this a bit, is this a bit shit, like or, or not? <laughs> and yeah, like yeah. Of, <laughs> yeah. And the thing about the fresh eyes, okay, if if I have a client who could give me, um, you know, it's usually two weeks, right? But if if someone gives me three weeks, because maybe that's all I could handle in my schedule or whatever, man, the ideal situation would be like a week of image research and like going to museums and going to the library and pulling books off the shelves and like a week of just like mood boarding and then a week of working. And then you don't look at it for a few days. And then the last full week is like refining. It's like, no, absolutely not. Sometimes I don't get to it for a week and a half. So your ability to have fresh eyes is just greatly reduced (laughs) because of timing. Yeah. 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 That's another challenge with managing your time again, which doesn't suit a lot of people when they're mm-hmm. off their own back. But yeah, like you say, sometimes you really do have to pull out options very quickly. And mm-hmm. um, it, to be fair, I think a lot of people who've been freelance for a while do come to kind of thrive on that pressure as well of knowing you've only got a set few days and you got to you got to kind of pull it out of the bag. Really, mm-hmm. um, it's 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 one of the things I actually really enjoy about being freelance. It's just just that rush of the deadline. Yeah. How much do you need to switch off from things like emails and external noise when designing? Or you is that is that really is that really important to you? So important to me. It was it was like the probably the thing that was least healthy for my for every when I was working at Penguin, um, I was I had two bosses and they shared me, which was tough. Um, and I would get, I would be working on something and there'd be an email and not just from them, but from the, the editors or from the production department, da, 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 the emails, 
um, someone would come by your desk and drop the mechanical and there'd be a sticky note that says like, this is a rush. So, you know, stop what you're doing, blah, blah, blah. So I found myself um, actually able to design in peace after like 5 p.m. every day. Um, And so, of course, I was I was staying late and it was uh, not good for my performance, really. The for me, the best thing about being freelance is the privilege to say, I'm, I have, this is due tomorrow. I have, um, I need to do three more covers. This is my priority. I'm not going to look at email all day. And anyone emailing me, it, first of all, it's probably not that urgent because of the nature of our relationship, freelancer versus to client. Um, you're not my boss there, you know, the, the thing you're emailing me about is it can wait until tomorrow. So flow, getting into that flow state is huge, huge yeah. for me. Yeah. yeah. Rather than being just constantly interrupted. Yes. And you're, you have to kind of restart and pick back up. Um, even like we'd probably think of a flow state being beneficial when we're in Photoshop or in InDesign designing, but even just the image research phase um, when you click from one thing to the next, whether you're on a stock website or you're in Pinterest, like going down those rabbit holes, like sometimes you need that to be a continuous state as well, you Absolutely. know? And you know, yeah. you always, when, you know, you do make the mistake of checking your emails and mm-hmm. you read it and it, you kind of, you're, t- it, you taking a bit of time to process whatever you've been asked to do or, or need to do. It's to like then, right brain, to, left brain. Yeah. To then restart yeah. actually takes like a long time. I think yeah. it, it should, in theory, just be a, a case of read email, respond to email, and then go back to what you're doing. But for me, I it takes me ages to get going again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I... I can totally use email as a procrastination tool. Yeah. Like, oh, there's this thing I need to des- like finish <laughs> designing for tomorrow. Oh, but this person just asked me to send an invoice. I'm just going to take five minutes to log into my QuickBooks and blah, 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 blah. You know, that yeah. whole thing. Um, and I'm, it's just procrastination. It's so true. Yeah, I do that all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know I have something to do and I really know I need to do it. It's like, oh, I'm going to spend the morning doing emails. <laughs> just, it's just a way of delaying what you should be doing. No, it's so true. Um, kind of going back to... Um, advice to mm-hmm. to students or people looking to break into our industry uh, what's a couple of pieces of advice that you've learned during your time that, that would be helpful to someone in that position so if you're a student and you're just starting out um just make make book covers just make the assignment for yourself and and if you want and specialize if you want to make book covers then make book covers don't don't add like you know, don't do a zine or, um, a a logo or whatever. Don't do like a book related t-shirt, like pick your favorite book, pick a classic, create a book cover. Um, that, because that's what someone's gonna want to see because all those other kinds of design are different and don't always, can't always necessarily be applied. Um, 
advice, I mean, this could be for students too, but advice for people trying to build out the freelance clients, just email people. I, when I first went freelance, I emailed so many small presses. Um, I think they were thrilled to be hearing from someone who had just left Penguin Books, you know? Um, I was hungry. I was hungry for work. I was hungry for consistency um, and just practice. One of my best clients is a small press in upstate New York. I'm not going to say who, because I'm just going to keep them all to myself, (laughs) but um, they don't pay per cover very much, but they send me so much volume. They are one of my, at the end of the year, one of my top paying clients. I'm very good to them. They're good to me too. Um, So, and I, I, found that client because I just emailed her one day. Um, I, I probably emailed my first year of freelance. I don't know. I probably emailed like 50 or 60 presses and maybe still to this day, I'm still working with like 10 of them. Like that's maybe you don't hear back from a bunch. Um, it like, it works that just that cold email. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, it does. Um, and I think you made a good point about for people like students who are looking to break into cover design and um, just design book covers. It sounds obvious, but I actually mm-hmm. got, when I got my first job in publishing and I give this advice all the time, I say the same as you just get some book covers in your portfolio. Ironically, I didn't actually have any book covers in my portfolio when I got yeah. my first job in publishing. So I, I, I can't really say too much, but I think um, you, you mentioned about doing classics, uh, like pick a classics book as well, because I think yeah. it's really useful to who you're showing your work to, because they already they, might have they, a, they have a right. preconception of what the, the, right. of the, of the book is. I think that's really useful rather than just picking yeah. a random book you might like, because it, they might not be able to respond to it in the, in in such a direct and immediate way, you know, when right. you're showing, when you're first showing your work. So I think that's a really good point. Yeah, you know, I just thought of something else. The the other thing that I think really separates the student work um, from junior, even just junior designers, um, is your fo- your Photoshop skills for sure. Like just because you've been using Photoshop since you were twelve, doesn't mean you've been using it in to a certain level, right? Like we all know the curves tool, but oh my gosh, like I've learned things on the job. Like your Photoshop skills are super important. I I actually remember when I was the intern at Rodrigo's, I remember Steve showing me how to make a shadow in Photoshop by not like a, a real shadow, not the shadow filter, you know, just those little things um, that make if if your design is like a napkin on a table and the type is on the napkin, like, well, <laughs> it's like night and day. Yeah. Who who is handling that Photoshop file, right? Yeah. So yeah, like whatever it takes. You know, on- online classes, free YouTube classes, like whatever it is, just get your Photoshop skills really that's, strong. That's never been easier, as well, is it? Like when yeah. I was first starting out, there wasn't. That I don't know. I didn't feel like there were that many resources to do that. My my Photoshop skills coming out of uni were abysmal, to be honest. And even because I worked in design agencies before moving into publishing, and our Photoshop work wasn't as heavy. Really, it was quite quite light, quite light scale. Really, 
So -hmm. when I moved into publishing, I had to drastically improve my Photoshop skills extremely quickly because I I really realised how little I knew, to be honest. And just Yeah, and you might have an idea and if you can't execute it. You can't do it, it, it's so frustrating. Yeah, and you have this great idea, but it falls flat. And I think just do again in the same way of your advice of just design book covers, just use the program. If you just use it and practice with it, you're going to pick it up. And I don't know, some people pick up software really easily. I'm not one of those people particularly, but I have to be constantly using it. So I think just constantly using it is really important. Mm-hmm. I think um, it's a good time to move on to um, I need a bookcover.com. You mentioned it a couple of times. Um, but um I thought it was a, an amazing undertaking of yours uh, to create the site. Um, and, and for those who don't know, it's um, a directory of freelance book cover designers. And um, it's trying to, um, a really engaging site that's aimed at art directors, editors and authors looking to identify designers for potential pro- uh, projects. Uh, how did the site come about and um, why did you think it was important to, to create Um, it was something I wanted to make for a long time. When I was at Pratt, I would visit, um, the book cover archive, (laughs) this website (laughs) that I, I think is now not really, I think it might, I think it's there, but I don't think anyone's updated it for about a decade. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not sure anyone's updating it. Yeah. Um, I loved that website. Um, and yeah, it kind of, stopped being updated. So, um, I thought it was so important to me at that period of my life, like some sort of book cover website is, is, has still has relevance. Um, and then, you know, there's, there were all these websites that we all probably know and love that had, uh, that were tracking like themes and, um, here, you know, here's book covers with, uh, circles or whatever, but, and, and I had my own Pinterest board where I would keep track of just for fun, not even for uh, a project I was working on, but like anytime I would see a book cover with lines on it, I would pin it because it was just fun for me to collect those things. And I just envisioned this website where you could filter all these covers. Um, it would be, it would regenerate based on all these different tags and it, that's just how my brain works. Like that yeah. is my brain in website form. <laughs> um, but on top of that, I really, really wanted to put together a directory that I could just send anyone who asked me. Um, so often I would get offers for work and I would turn it down, whether it's um, an, a self-publishing author or a small press or whatever. And for various different reasons, I would turn down a project and I just wanted one place I could send those people and say, everyone on this website is incredible. Um, and that website was never going to be Fiverr, right? Like that is just an absolute free for all. I can't vouch for all those people. So like where I, there was there just wasn't one cohesive place where I could send someone. Um, I could, copy and paste 10 people's portfolios and homepages, which is what I did for the past five years. Um, I just wanted a, a one-stop shop. Right. And yeah. <laughs> it was born. Yeah. Yeah. And it was born. <laughs> <laughs> How did you come up with a name? 
because it's quite direct. Yeah. So the name, the name is boring on purpose. Okay. I honestly, I wanted it to be something that someone could mention, um, like at a book launch and you would mem- remember it the next day. If it was too cute or too personal to me or like personal to us, um, I didn't want someone to go, oh, there's, yeah, there's this website. Um, someone told me about it last night. It's, it's called, uh, we're all covered or, or co- covered are us. I got you covered. You know, like I just needed it to be really, um, memorable and, and, and bland. Um, I also got in the habit of asking, uh, self-publishing authors who would contact me over the years, how did you find me? And, they, a lot of them just go into Google and type in like, I need a book cover. So I was like, okay, anyone who's going to Google and typing in, I need a book cover, <laughs> this is going to come up, you know? Um, yeah, that it was basically SEO and, uh, and just being memorable. That's it. But I am the first to admit, like, it's not, it's not a, a great name. It's just, uh, it's just memorable. Yeah. <laughs> It must have been quite an undertaking, like collating all of those designers and their work and Mm -hmm. then packaging it up into a really like great looking website. That must have been, you must have spent a long time on it. Yes. Um, So this morning before our call, I went back to my project folders um, to remind myself of the exact timing. So I interviewed web designers last August, my designers really started working on it in October. And we launched, um, basically the, like, it was like January 31st. So end of January. Um, so yeah, like October, November, December, we were going back and forth. It was basically built around the new year. And then I, I spent January building it out. So like, nights and weekends, I was, um, adding all of you guys' <laughs> information, um, for that last month. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it was, it was, I guess the web designers, it took them like three months. Um, we communicate almost every week, something pops up. So there's still, um, a lot of web maintenance going on. I, honestly, I would say we email at least once a week. Yeah. Um, me emailing them about something. Yeah. yeah. How have yeah. you, because uh, obviously it's been going, well, you know, three quarters of a year roughly. How Have you had any like feedback and how people are responding to the site and using the site and things like that? Yeah. So the day I launched, by the way, I did not really sleep the night before. <laughs> it, was, it was really nerve wracking. Um, I built this thing in, in secrecy, um, (laughs) because I kind of had to just unleash it. Um, if I had asked all of you individual, you know, there were 200 people on the site when I launched, if I'd asked all of you before launch, like, do you want to be on this site? And can I use your photo? I mean, the, it's, it would have been a nightmare, yeah, honestly. It, just, it would have taken it's way too much time, and you know. Kind and of... then, pe- pe- you know, people could have like forwarded that email to ten of their friends, and then like suddenly, it's I have to manage, you know, five hundred people, just blah blah blah. Um, I just, I yeah, I, ha- I had to work this way for a reason. Um, but it was 
really scary launching something that you guys were all a part of, but none of you knew. And I wanted people in my industry to like it, but it was also nerve wracking because like, I didn't ask you for permission and like, you're on it, you know? So that was nerve wracking that the day I launched, I, I honestly got like a hundred responses. They were all positive. It was amazing. I got like two negative responses and they were dealt with and, and that's that. So I, it, it was, it was incredible. Now, I remember when I first saw it, I was like, you know, taken aback. I was like, bloody hell, like that is a, quite <laughs> the undertaking just in terms of doing it. But, you know, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's, I think it's really an amazing project and like shows a lot of solidarity with like fellow designers. And I think it's, it's a great example of the kind of the respect between that you find between yeah. with cover designers. I think it's, I think it's amazing. And there's not many industries where like someone would go out of the way to celebrate the work of others um, when yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. the work of their peers. Um, so I, yeah, I think it's, I think it's an incredible, uh, incredible thing to do, to have done. Um, Thank you. On the site, you have a pretty, pretty active uh, blog section uh, where you sometimes feature interviews with cover designers mm-hmm. or kind of, as you alluded, kind of, you know, to um, kind, of, kind of showcasing design devices that we all kind of use within our work. Um, do, you, do you enjoy um, writing about the process behind what goes into designing covers? Is that an important part of the site as well? Yes. Um, it's funny you said an active blog section because it was active. It, <laughs> I haven't added a new blog in probably two months. One thing I promised myself when I decided to include the blog at all, because I almost didn't, I said, um, this has to be fun. It can't, it can't be, I can't create a restriction like, and I will post every week. Cause like, who knows what's going on that week? You know, I was like, I'm only going to do this if it's fun. I'm not going to let it stress myself out. Um, and you know, I've been asked to be on other blogs, you know, like spine mag. Um, I've been on there. I've also been asked to talk about something on there more than once where I've dropped the ball. I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm totally going to tell you all about that cover. And then weeks go by and I don't. So I've had ideas and I've reached out to designers, like, do you feel like talking about this? And they're like, yeah. And then it doesn't happen. And I, when I decided to do the blog at all, I was like, it, that's just how it, it, it needs to be fun and it can't be restrictive and it can't, it can't cause me stress. So that's just to say <laughs> why, um, I am okay with, uh, the fact that it hasn't been updated in a while, but, um, yeah, I, uh, I would love to highlight more, designers um because it's a really fun way to connect with you guys so so far I I only did an interview um with one designer with Dominique and we emailed and I sent her the questions it was all via email and um the Q&A was finished but then she and I I was like do you want to like zoom like over like have a coffee over zoom for a bit and that was like the best part of the whole experience um we were both just talking from our homes uh off the record, just like shooting the shit. It was, yeah, it yeah. was really nice. Yeah, that's cool. So I'd like to do more of those. Yeah. No, I think that'd be really interesting. I, I think, um, I think people in, in, in our industry would really respond well to that, to more of that kind mm-hmm. of content. So yeah, please do. 
Is that yeah. is that what you see for the the future of the site and the future ambitions of the site? Is that more of that kind of stuff, or is there anything else as well? So I would I would love for the site to make money. Um, right now, I I joke around. I'm like, it's a really expensive hobby. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's completely not profitable at all right now. I'd love for it to make money. I have a few ideas about how to do that. And I think I've, um, figured out the way that makes the most sense. First and foremost, I, I never want to charge you guys to be on the site. That's really important to me. You didn't ask me to make this site, so you don't need to pay for it, you know? Um, and I would never want someone to say, oh, well, I'm not going to send you $5 a month, so can you just remove me from the site? Because I want the site to be complete um, and have, like, the best people on there. Um, so, yeah, I uh, I want I want to create – it's kind of in the works, so I'll be a little – Lucy goosey about this, but I want to create a way that someone can write into the site and explain what their cover brief is and, um, pay me to blast out their brief to all y'all. And then whoever is interested contacts that person specifically. I'm not interested in running like a Reedsy competitor where I'm, I'm overseeing like your project with so-and-so author. I don't want any involvement in it, but the site could uh, be a middleman and I could uh, help pay for the site by charging the person who needs help finding you guys. Um, one, a little bit of feedback I've gotten is I've had uh, self-publishing authors write me and say, I found your website. It's amazing. I wrote 10 people and no one wrote me back. Um, so I do think that there's a market for someone who would rather than, you know, being the girl at the dance with no one to dance with, um, they would pay me to blast it out to all of you. And then people that are interested or have time or they're hungry for work in that moment, they write the author and the author feels um, desired and, and, uh, popular instead of like, I just wrote 10 people and like, no one got back to me. And, and, um, the other thing is like that we know, but uh, uh, these authors don't know is like, who is like kicking butt, like at the toughest publishing house. And they're on the website because their work is amazing, but they're, they're probably not like freelancing. It's that kind of insider information that, um, you wouldn't know, so that's the, yeah, that's the next goal. I don't want to put ads on the site. It would kill it. So. Yeah. yeah. Just, yeah. No, I think that sounds exciting. Uh, so, phase yeah. two. Phase two. I look forward to it. Uh -huh. um, Good. And I guess related to this is your, your other website, I need a book interior.com uh -huh. that, that showcases your interior work for books. Um, do you enjoy that the change of designing interiors compared with covers is it a nice pace change to, to what, you, love what it. you do. Yes. Yes. I love it. Um, I realized that I should learn how to design book interiors a couple years ago when I had too many clients in a row say, okay, great. So here's the manuscript. We do the cover. I would do the mechanical and then they'd say, great, here's the manuscript. Um, like, when can you show us the interior? And I was like, oh, this isn't something I do. So I realized that I was leaving money on the table. 
So um, that's the only reason I learned how to do it. And I took some classes and figured it out. Um, And now it's, you know, like as a freelancer, you, you're a business owner as well. So yes, there's all of the joys that come with the privilege of being a book cover designer, but I'm also a business owner. And so there's the nitty gritty of like, I just, I also need to make a certain amount of money in a year that, and hopefully that number goes up each year. Right. So the, I only have so much creative juice in my brain in any given week for like the best book cover ever. Um, the interior, doing the interiors allows me to just, just do work, but it, but it's not, um, creatively draining. Yeah. You yeah. Know? I understand. It's like, yeah. It's, it's, it might be more, more like rules based and you're, you're following a pro a clear process and things like that. And you can just work your way through it. It's like a, a exactly you know, quite therapeutic almost like compared for to sure. What- like I was sick a couple of weeks ago and I didn't have it in me to design a, a book cover, but I had enough energy that I could do some interiors. So it's nice. It's nice to have that. Um, I, it is someone, uh, a friend of mine compared it to knitting. It's, it's like knitting. I really <laughs> yeah. like it. Yeah. yeah I can it's see nice. that. Yeah. I think that's a good, yeah. that's a, that's a good uh, comparison. Yeah. Um, what's, um, what's like one problem or issue do you think we should be talking more about as an, as an industry that, that often doesn't get spoken about? I would love to listen in on a forum where we talk about uh, race in book cover design in the world. I don't feel qualified to speak on the topic or sit on that panel but I would love to hear what other people who are more affected by this and also who are actually in the industry, um, how, how we can solve that. Um, I know that anecdotally um, people that book cover designers of a certain race or ethnicity are feeling some of them are like a little overwhelmed by only being like the go-to girl that does the Asian American memoir. You know, I do think that's something we need to solve. I'm, I'm not the person to, to solve it or speak on it really. Um, I would love to see just as a, from a freelancer perspective, um, I would love to see like, uh, retainers become a thing. Um, (laughs) Just, just to go in a totally different direction from uh, race and book cover design, which is <laughs> way more important than this. But um, I, I was owed, like in this, in the five figures amount of money in the past month. I, I just have so many late invoices. Yeah, um, I'm owed so much, and it, and it's so frustrating. Um, just if the, if the publishing houses could like yeah. come up with better systems, better like systems. pay us on time. Um, it's, a dr- they, it's, a, it's a massive drain, uh, isn't it? I think. Yeah. 
following up, following up, everybody, it's, and it's it, not on them; it's on their accounting departments. Yeah, and it's, it's like, really, oh I, my I, gosh, I find all of that a really awkward experience um, because I think it's obviously it's a it's a common thing that's spoken about between freelance cover designers is is late payments. And it always feels super like it, it's, it's, in, it's super late. Yeah. And it's super it, late. Yeah. I'm like, owed a lot of money at once. Um, it's on me to follow up. To no chase. one else is no. right? Yeah, You kind of think that if, if I never chase this, I would never get paid. It wouldn't, it, yeah, it's not like, sure. it's not like it's at the back of a queue somewhere. It's, it's, yeah, it's probably, yeah, yeah. but then it, it, I don't know, for, for me, it, it's stupid really, because you, it, we're in a service industry. You, you've done, you've, you fulfilled your your part on that, but for, I feel like bad chasing up. It makes me feel like I'm being cheeky. Almost, yeah. It's, it's really, yeah. and, and, and I don't like pestering, you know, the art director or whoever's commissioned me yeah. for the work because it's in there inevitably not their fault. Right, um, and it you just don't, yeah, you don't want that to be a kind of sour any had, kind of relationships right. and things like that. It's it's, it's horrible. I, I had a a check go to my last, my last address, even though I've been at my current place f- uh, for almost a year. And it was from one of the big five publishers. And I'm like, well, who is still doing checks? Come on. <laughs> like ACH, like where do I sign up? You know, direct deposit. Um, it's a thing. It's a thing. Yeah. I would love, I would love to, you know, be on re- retainer somehow. Like, okay, Zoe, like, on average, we we send three covers a year for you. So in January, we're going to pay you for half of the price of three covers, even though we're not going to hand you those covers until like April, August, yeah. and November. You know, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think <laughs> yeah, I think you made a really good a, a really good point about publishers probably need to build in better systems to pay freelancers. And I, I think. You know, publishers are probably using freelancers more than ever. So I think those systems have, have got to improve because it's, it's not fair when people mm-hmm. ultimately, you know, you, you know, sometimes people go through, you know, barren streaks of work and they really need that money like right now. So I think, yeah, your idea of a retainer yeah, is yeah, interesting yeah. as well. I think, yeah, it's something to explore too. Um, yeah, I think that's a really common one in our, in our <laughs> yeah. profession. Um, from a from a UK audience, um, you know, I think we we all, we all tend to follow each other on social media. But for you, yeah. who, who's um, who's really killing it at the moment in America in with cover design? Who 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 are you really enjoying seeing produce like really interesting work at the moment for for people that might not be aware of? I just started following this girl yesterday, Sarah Schulte. Um, her work is really, really cool. She's not new by any means, but June Park has always been one of my favorite cover designers. Her book covers, they all look so different from one another and from anything else I've seen out there. And they don't really look like a book cover, <laughs> but, you know, like when, <laughs> right. the thing that we think of, like so yeah. often when I'm designing, I'm like, and it's got to look like a book cover, you know, a centered type, blah, blah, blah. And um, now her compositions are so cool. And she's she's done um, some Mia Koto covers that are just like my favorite of all time. I think uh, I think I think anyone who pushes the the preconceptions of what cover design can be is always really interesting 
I love that feeling of it doesn't look like a book. Um, yeah. Kind of, cause that's, that's one comment I always remember in cover meetings, doing the rounds when you're showing stuff and someone says, it doesn't look like a book cover. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's going to be a book cover. But it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be. <laughs> Just you wait, it will be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's amazing. What, what do you, do you have any kind of, I don't know, comments or like kind of ideas of the UK cover design scene versus the American cover design scene and how, you know, we might treat books differently to how you guys treat books in a particular, obviously yeah. it's, it's speaking like a general term. It's, it's, I know. But- it, 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 my answer would have to be so general, right? I feel like, so the first thing that comes to mind is generally speaking, I do feel like when I see the UK version of a cover, the, the thing that's kind of consistent is that um, the type is bigger and like uh, kind of swoopy sans serifs. Uh, I see that being a more popular choice than whatever the American counterpart is. Um, man, I just came across this book, um, the the hardcover US, paperback US, the UK hardcover and the UK paperback, all four of them are so different. Um, and I want to read the book and then probably I'll probably blog about it because I, I know which one is maybe my favorite design, but I have to read the book and see, but maybe that'll change like which one um, is most fitting. But it's interesting seeing dr- like such drastic, so di- different, like different kind of s- strategies almost and responses to, to, yeah. to probably a similar brief. Now it's really interesting, like seeing the work that's coming out of America, and it, it's it's hard to to judge it all the time because quite often you're only seeing like really strong examples of what's being published because, you know, whether it gets featured on, you know, Casual Optimist or Lit mm-hmm. Hub or something like that. Mm-hmm. But for me, I don't know, it feels like the American cover design scene over like the past decade that I've really been in the loop of cover mm-hmm. design is is, re- is like is is really constantly looking to push itself. I don't know, it's, for me, isn't it? Externally, it really seems re- like really interesting and mm-hmm. and. You, you do quite often see covers where you think i just couldn't see that being approved over here i oh, don't know if that's a fair yeah. comment or even but, like 10 um, years ago over here yeah but i don't yeah. know if um i'm not sure if that's fair or you know you might think the same you know looking the other way i don't i don't know but um for me it really seems like it's an exciting place to be right now as a mm-hmm. cover designer in america it is exciting. And I think that the the powers that be in the approval meetings, I think they're catching on, you know, like, like what you said, you know, um, something that doesn't look like a book cover, but, but it, if you approve it, then it will be, and it goes out into the market and it does well. And then two years later, it, whatever you propose or I propose in that next cover meeting doesn't look as scary or weird because of something that like, you know, Nah Kim or Devin Washburn did like a couple years back. Um, yeah. yeah. Something, yeah. yeah. Something that's crazy or pushing the boundaries. Another name that just came to mind, someone who's doing really, really cool stuff would be Tree Abraham. Big time. Oh, I, yeah. She only got yeah, on yeah. my radar, like, honestly, like a year ago. I'm sure she was in the business yeah. for longer, but um, yeah. 
yeah, her, her stuff is wicked. really great. And I think she does. Yeah. I think she's an I think she's an author as well now, isn't she? I think she's got she her is. own books too. I think, I think I'm right. She does. I think I'm right in saying that. that. That's that's really cool. Now it's been really it's been really interesting to chat, Zoe. It's been it's been brilliant. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for you know taking the time out and um, and joining me on the podcast. It's it's been great. I know it's like having one co-worker this this week instead of being all alone (laughs) a huge thanks to zoe for speaking with me about her design journey and it was great to compare notes on life as a freelancer between the uk and the us please visit her website at zoenorvell.com where you'll find links to see her brilliant work over on pinterest but also make sure you follow zoe on instagram at zoenorvell I'm so impressed by the work Zoe has put into INeedABookCover.com. It's such an amazing site that freelancers could really benefit from, but also a useful resource for publishers, authors, and art directors. So be sure to check out the site if you haven't already. Also visit INeedABookInterior.com to see Zoe's book interior work and services. Thank you so much for listening. Please follow Cover Meeting wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you can take the time, please leave a rating or review as it really helps. Follow Cover Meeting on Twitter, Instagram, and now threads at Cover Meeting Pod for news about upcoming episodes. Cover Meeting was hosted by Steve Leard and produced by James Ede of beheard.org.uk. Thanks again for listening. And I hope you join again soon for another episode.